You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Good morning. On behalf of this study we're doing on our hearts, I would like for us to look closely at, at the following words from the Apostle Paul. The words are, my only aim is to finish the race. Now, on behalf of these words, it's not just important that Paul said it. As a matter of fact, if we press in on behalf of these words, what's more important is when he said it, where he said it, and then who he said it to. Uh, Paul spent a significant amount of time in the city of Ephesus. We've talked about this. He, he spent about three years in the city of Ephesus, but he would go back and forth periodically to Corinth. And after some time in Corinth, he was headed to Jerusalem, but he decided to stop back by the direction of Ephesus, but he would stop in a town called Miletus. Miletus was a beach area about 40 miles just south of Ephesus. And he sent word to a group of leaders that he had poured his life into while he was at Ephesus, uh, church leaders that he had mentored. And he asked them to come and meet him at Miletus because he wanted to share a final word with them. It was going to be a goodbye. And so this group of uh, leaders made the 40-mile trip down to the beach at Miletus. And it was in this setting on the sand, as they would no doubt pray together, hold each other, and give a hug. As they heard these, these farewell words that Paul would say this, my only aim is to finish the race. Now, that language right there resonated with those guys. We talked about in Ephesus before, there was a, a stadium, a theater area that would seat twenty to 25,000, and oftentimes that was used for an event like racing or track and field. Now, track and field may not be as big a deal for uh, the United States, not as big as football, basketball, baseball, maybe even a weekend like this with golf, but it was very significant to that audience. And as Paul would make that statement, it reminds me of a term that is often kind of cliche for some of us. It's so cliche that too often, we kind of gloss over it. The term that's wrapped up in Paul's statement is finishing well. And on behalf of finishing well, as Paul communicates, my only aim is to finish the race, there's an important word image that I would like for you to, to capture today. On behalf of this image, and we think of finishing well, sometimes our first thoughts are to the older people that finish well. We think, well, they're already toward the end of their life. They're closer to the finish. The tape is in view. And they're just a few hundred yards from being done. Now, I don't want us just to think about older people. I also want us to think about those in the middle and those at the beginning. Those where the finish line is not yet in sight. I'd like us to consider those in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Because finishing well isn't just for people near the end of life. It's critical to all people in all stages of life. If you get hurt in your 20s, discouraged in your 30s, betrayed in your 40s and 50s, people, people step off the track in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. People throw in the towel. So finishing well isn't just about the last few hundred yards, the last several years. Finishing well also has to do with how well you run the race. Especially during seasons of discouragement or disappointment. And so today in particular, I want us to examine the heart of the matter when it comes to finishing the race. When it comes to actually running well with these words of Paul. 
And in particular, I want to highlight four different words, and with those words, hopefully some images that will bring this to light. The first word that I want you to consider on my only aim is to finish the race. The first word is hills. Now, when you think of this word, I want you to imagine this image. Um, on behalf of hills, like some of you have jogged, some of you run, some of you walk. Um, there were times that I would meet a group of friends from this church, and we would go to the University of Tennessee campus, and, and we would do a 5K or a 10K. It, was, it would just depend on the day. But as we would go to this spot, it, it never ceased to uh, catch me by surprise. Toward the end of our time together, there was this one hill that everyone referred to as Miller Hill. Uh, this hill did damage when it came to my soul. I would find myself hyperventilating. I would find myself like running sideways. Now, when some of you look at that hill, you think, well, Tim, that, that's not really a hill. That's just an incline. Like, Tim, you ought to be able to handle that. Well, maybe so, but there was a hill right before that hill, and this is what it looked like. And right before that hill, there was another hill, and this is what it looked like. The conclusion that I'm getting to is this. It's not the hill that you're on that gets you. It's hill after hill after hill. And we're not just talking about running. That's not what Paul's addressing. Honestly, we're talking about life fatigue. And we're at a season, a season where, where everybody's getting closer to the summer. And there's a little bit of life fatigue that sets in for all of us. Some of you are spent. Some of you are exhausted. You're wrecked. You're not sure if you can take it anymore. I want you to know, it's not the hill you're on that gets you. It's hill after hill after hill. Maybe that, that imagery will help you as you run the race. You've got to understand, hills are normal. To the college students in this room that are working really, really hard to finish this, this semester off right, doesn't matter if it's the exam, doesn't matter if it's the research paper, it's all-nighters, doesn't matter if your grade is hinging on this, you're sick, you've got dread, you are stressed. Guess what? It's a hill. And hills are normal. Perhaps it's someone in this room that is struggling at work, and right now it's just tough. Dealing with complaints, dealing with frustration. Maybe it's a new job and, and everything is brand new. You're scared, you're not sure if it's going to work, you're not sure how well you'll fit. Maybe there's a, an aspect of your job that you're dreading, and it's like one of your greatest fears, but it's necessary for you to do well. Understand, it's a hill. And hills are normal. Maybe some of you, like, like, like us, something goes out of the house. Perhaps it's a refrigerator again. It's the, the, the freezer again. It's the, the, the washing machine again. And all the stuff, the laundry, the food, it's got to be kept cold and clean. You're trying to think, okay, do we fix it? Do we fix it again? Or do we get another one? Guess what? It's a hill. And hills are normal. Perhaps it's a fender bender. And thankfully, whether it was you or someone in your family, no one was hurt. But it's complicated. There's an exchange of insurance. You've got to go through all the paperwork. There's possibly a ticket. You're finding out who's going to fix the car and what do you do in the meantime about a loaner. Guess what? It too is a hill. And hills are normal. And maybe it's you or a child that's hurt. And it won't go away. And you're like, I don't know if it's a sprain. I don't know if it's a tear. I don't know if it's broken. The summer's coming up. I, I got to go see some specialists. We got to figure out what's going on, what needs to happen. Understand. Like, like, it's a hill. Hills are normal. Maybe you have a, a grandchild or you have another child, and, and you had no idea that, that trying to get them to take a nap involved negotiations that have led to an all-out war, right? Understand that that, too, is a hill. And hills are normal. 
And might I suggest, for the last couple years, uh, we've all had a bunch of hills thrown into our lives, in addition to the hills that are already there. You know, it's, it's okay today for some of us to kind of look at someone beside us and make this statement, you know what, I have a right to be tired. And here's why. It's not the hill that you're on that gets you. It's hill after hill after hill. And for a second, on behalf of these hills, there, there are people in this room that, that are overcommitted. Truth be told, we all have a tendency to overcommit. And what that looks like is we're presented with an opportunity and we try to evaluate the elevation gain of a new hill in relation to the opportunity. Meaning, for those with a tendency to overcommit in this room, we often look at the opportunity and think, you know what, it's not that hard. I think it'll be worth it. It may take some extra effort and time. Can I tell you something? There's a great question to ask. What hills have I already committed myself to? Because you've got to remember, it's not the hill that you're on that gets you. It's hill after hill after hill. Now, this makes sense for many of you. And you could possibly, like, close, close your notes, close the Bible, go home. But some of you are like, Tim, it's just hills. Hills aren't that big of a deal. Maybe not. So let's talk about number two. Let's talk about pace. And on behalf of the word pace, maybe this image will help. As you look at this image, even looking at the picture, there's a realization that I don't have any business running with any of these people. So let's discuss pace. <laughs> hills are hard enough. How about the pace? On behalf of those people, what if they're in better shape? What if they're younger, healthier, faster, and more experienced? Like for them, this, this jog is relaxing. It's enjoyable. For, for me, it's, it's miserable. And it's all tied to pace. Like think for a minute if you were to go to a marathon and you would notice that the world-class runners are toward the front and those that realize they're just there to finish are toward the back. But if you were to wade your way into the middle and, and recognize people and have questions and you were to ask them about kind of what their goal was and they threw around, you know, I'd love to go sub four. That means they're going to have to run less than those nine-minute miles, whatever the math is. And suppose you were to press into them and say, hey, well, I got a question for you. Can you run a mile in seven minutes? And they're like, yeah, I'm sure I could. You say, well, okay, question number two, do you think you could run a couple miles in seven minutes? And they pause and they think, yeah, probably. And then you press them with a the question, then why aren't you running this marathon in seven-minute increments? And they would respond back, because it's not a pace that's sustainable. The point, often when you blow up at mile 18, it is not about mile 18. Truth be told, often when you blow up at mile 18, it's tied to the pace that you did at mile 2, 6, or 10. And it might catch up at mile 18. So on behalf of pace and Paul's words, can we take a minute to discuss the pace at which you're doing life? Why don't you just for a second pause with me and think about how, how you're doing. Does anyone right now feel spent? Does anyone... Have nothing left in the tank. Anyone right now like, like running on fumes? Flirting with per perpetual exhaustion? Struggling to find genuine, authentic rest? Often our pace 
has done damage on the soul. And we follow it with words like, I need a, and you fill in the blank. Like everyone in this room will have one of those, I need a. And it's like we follow it with different things. But because it's May and June and July are coming, let's just say it's, I need a, a vacation. Uh, some of you, maybe this image brings about all the feels. It might for you. It does not for me because I'm pale and redheaded, but <laughs> you get the gist. We, we think we need a vacation. I want to make a few statements on this. If you're running at an unsustainable pace, seven days in the sun will not repair your life. If you're running at an unsustainable pace, seven days aren't going to repair life. Even if it's great weather with great friends, great family, and a great resort. Meaning this, a vacation is not the answer to an unsustainable pace. A sustainable pace is the answer for an unsustainable pace. It's what you're doing now. Meaning how you spend your time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. And yet we long for that moment, but the problem is, like we long for the moment of the break, but the problem is our, our pacing. Vacations are incredible. They give you time off, but it does not fix the way that you spend time on. So build the kind of life that you do not want to disappear from. Live the kind of life that avoids an escape hatch. That's what the issue is about pace. Otherwise, an unsustainable pace often leads to affairs. Addiction to a controlled substance. Vacation fantasies. Constantly living in the future. Man, I can't wait till Friday. I can't wait till June. I can't wait till the kids get older. And otherwise, it often leads to missing out on people that matter the most. And so Paul meets with a group of leaders from Ephesus. says, come meet me at Miletus. It's a group of guys that he's mentored, and he helped them out at the local church. He's about to tell them goodbye. They gather in some sand, and he lets them know, you know what? My only aim is to finish. It's a conversation about hills. It's a conversation about pace. It's also a conversation about recovery. You run any race, you think about recovery. I can't help but think of feet on behalf of recovery, right? And usually when you go to a race, oftentimes there is a packet. Inside that packet, they'll give you a number. They'll give you some pens. They give you directions and a map. I suggest just follow the people. You'll get there. But oftentimes there's a booklet. A booklet that has a little bit of info on recovery. After the race, after you've poured yourself out, after you've met hill after hill after hill with a pace that's kind of pushed you forward, essentials on recovery like hydrate. But I'm not thirsty, right? Eat, I have no appetite. It's good to stretch, but I can't even touch my knees. Probably wise to change, but I'm so comfy. You need ice but it hurts you need to walk are you kidding me I just got done running these are all things necessary for recovery a couple observations on behalf of recovery number one recovery involves active work it's not passive you can't just lay in the grass in wet clothes even though it's kind of the thing that you want to do restorative rest for the soul is still active it's intentional. 
It's meaningful. It's purposeful. And it was created by God. Sabbath for the soul. But it requires something of you. Observation one is recovery involves active work. Number two, we may not want to do any of those things because there's always pushback. When you think about the list, there's always, there's always pushback. Like, I don't feel like it. There's other stuff that I need to do. It's, it's just not in, my, it's not in my wheelhouse right now. I, I want to ask a question for every person in this room on behalf of recovery. What is restorative for you? Like on behalf of your soul. I'm not sure what it is for you, but, but, but I, have, I have a good idea on what it is for me. Like, like some of the restorative things for my soul after hills and pace, it's crazy. It's, it's to make or to participate in the family of making a great meal outside and sitting down with my, the people that I love with some music and just enjoying, like, like rest for the soul. Some of the restorative things for me is like getting lost in a book with a journal and learning about the goodness and the grace of God. Some of the restorative things for me are like going and, and getting lost in the mountain streams. Perhaps taking my dog or someone in the family and just escaping. I'm telling you, these are all things that are part of the recovery process for the soul that are good for the soul. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but you need to know what it is for you. And you need to think deeply about it so that you finish the race well. What are the activities that put gas back in your tank when you feel empty and spent? You should know this. Otherwise, you and I will embrace non-restorative time wasters. I'm going to tell you, I am capable of wasting away and melting into the corner of a bed, binge-watching a series when my heart is trashed. And it ain't good for my soul. When our soul is in need of soul care, there is, I promise you, there is a gravitational pull away from the things of God that are actually part of the recovery. And it involves God-honoring activity. Now, let's ask the question, why, why in the world is this so important? Ready? The people that matter the most and the people that need you the most, they need the best version of you. Not the burned out. Not the trashed. Not the emotionally, spiritually, physically drained you. Not the you that that could care less and that's limping and, and really has no, no feelings for people around you in life in general. I'm telling you, this is exactly what Paul is addressing when he makes a statement. Look, my only aim, my only aim is to finish the race. So, so far he's talked about hills. He's talked about pace. You can't help but think of recovery. And now my favorite word, the last word is grace. Let's, let's go back to Paul. And the conversation on the beach with those guys from Ephesus that walked 40 miles to help his trip be a little bit shorter. They, they met him in Miletus on the beach. And Paul there says the statement, my only aim is to finish the race. To which I, I'm like, okay, Paul, what, what race are you talking about? Can you give me a, an idea? I'm sure it's something biblical. Uh, you did write most of these, these books in the New Testament. Can, can you give us an idea? Well, let's read it in its setting. Acts 20, verse 24. My only aim is to finish the race. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. From this day forward, my life, he says, a testimony. No matter what happens to me. I want it to be a testimony of the goodness of God, the grace of God. I want others to see this. Understand, a conversation about grace is a conversation about the goodness of God. Meaning, he is a God that gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. One of our favorite, our favorite verses that everyone quotes that I don't think anyone ever had to memorize. It's like we learned it by osmosis. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gives. And he gave his only son. I mean, he's a God that gives and gives and gives again. That, that is what motivates Paul to finish this race and, and to finish it well and to run the race. It's, it's the beauty of grace. It's the goodness of God. But I understand on behalf of some of you right now in this room, there's a realization. Some of you might look back in the last several months, perhaps even the last several weeks, and wonder where the goodness of God has been in your life. I mean, you read those words of Paul and you might think, man, I don't know what Paul was experiencing. But I can tell you what we've been through. And I haven't seen the goodness of God. Um, <laughs> before Paul shows up with these guys on this beach, he wrote 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he uh, he includes a laundry list of what happened to him right before the beach. I just want to read them to you. 39 lashes five times, shipwrecked three times, sleepless nights, hunger and cold. He probably hadn't seen the goodness of God lately, but he knew what it was. And I imagine him on the beach with those men. I imagine he takes off his shirt. The back's a maze of scars. As he's telling them goodbye. He says, my only aim is to finish the race, guys. It's the task of testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's his grace. And he made that statement even though he hadn't really seen seasons of goodness. And you're thinking, well, maybe it was about to get better around the corner. No, listen to this. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are still facing me. So as he's saying goodbye, he's like, man, it was tough before I got here. It's going to be tough from a human perspective as I leave and some of you in this room could say well you know what that's me maybe not that extreme but that's me I'd like to ask a question has there been a time that you stopped believing in the goodness of God have you overlooked his grace maybe because of a disappointment maybe it's a series of disappointments Maybe it's because of betrayal. Or maybe it's a light depression that just will not lift. Has there ever been a time in your journey where you slowly find yourself stop believing in the goodness of God? I'll tell you something, Paul wants you to remember this. Please don't forget it today. Our world is full of brokenness. Because of Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross, it's also filled with beauty. We quote Psalm 23 a lot. And sometimes we just quote it to get through it. One of my favorite verses is at the very end of the 23rd Psalm. And it has to do with the goodness of God, the grace, the beauty, and his unfailing love. 
And even though David is facing the the dark days, the end of his life, so much has fallen apart with family. As he writes this psalm, he closes it with these words. Surely, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So on behalf of Paul's words today, can you just think on this image? And as you look at this image of someone finishing well, please consider these words. God wants you to finish well. And as pastor, I promise you, I want you to finish well. We, your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, we need you to finish well. So by all means, please, 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 run well. Paul said, my only aim is to finish the race. So if you're going to run well, don't forget the hills. Ready? It's not the hill you're on that gets you. It's hill after hill after hill. And hills are normal. And on behalf of Pace... How you spend your time off will not heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. So don't think that a vacation is going to fix an unsustainable life. No, a sustainable life fixes an unsustainable life. It goes back to pace. If you're going to finish well, think about recovery. The people that matter the most and need you the most need the best version of you. So what is it that God has placed in your life that brings restorative care to the soul? And by all means, even when it's tough and you're in a season when it's hard to find, hold tight to grace because His goodness and His unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I guess today is just one of those messages about the heart of the matter when it comes to finishing well. Here we are at the end of a semester, and it's about to get hectic for many of you. Kids out of school, both parents working, camps, trips, vacations, a lot going on. And you know what? All you can think about? More hills. A faster pace, no time to recover, and yet you've been called as a follower of Jesus to finish the race, to finish the grade, to finish the race. You've got to embrace grace. And practically, what it looks like as you think through the next few weeks and the next couple months, consider the hills. Have you overcommitted? Because it's not the hill you're on that'll get you. It, it's hill after hill after hill. And think about the pace. Is it sustainable? Because a vacation is not going to fix, it's not going to repair your soul. What will fix your soul is a sustainable pace now. Unsustainable paces 
kill families. It leaves leaders in the dust. And how about recovery? Like good soul recovery, the kind that God created on the beautiful Sabbath. Are you making time to restore the soul? And by all means, as you get alone and you read God's word, be thankful for the goodness and the unconditional, unfailing love of the Father that sent his Son. Father, today, I thank you for these words. I pray that we would meditate on them, we would dwell on them. Whether we're in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we will finish the race well. I pray that this would cause some that have fallen, some that have grown weary, to get back up and to keep moving. And it's all because of grace. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.